0: I was 17 years old when I met my wife. I met my wife by being introduced to her by a dear friend of mine. Here you go, Chris. He introduced me to her, but now you have to, have, you have to understand how I met my wife. Now, this is like really funny, right? Because I had stopped using drugs like 20 days before. And so I was... Like, if you've ever been caught up with using drugs, by the way, welcome. If you ever needed a restart in life, by the way, welcome. If you ever found yourself going in the wrong direction and needed, a, 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 needed someone to turn you around, welcome. And if you never needed any of that, welcome. Let me just tell you my story. So I was like maybe 30 days, and so I had a best friend. And the problem was this best friend was like a Rico Suave. You know what I mean when I say Rico Suave? He was like a Don Juan in American talk. He was like, you know, he's like good with the ladies. He was like handsome and cool and all of that stuff. And I was the opposite of all of that. I was the ugly friend, if you can imagine um, that. And so he would go, and this is true also, when I hung out with my brother, it's awful. Let me just, let me just get this off my chest because I can't afford therapy. So when I was hanging out with my brother, it was terrible because my brother like literally was like Ricky Martin. Like he looked like Ricky Martin. Do you have a brother who looked like Ricky Martin? Anybody remember Ricky Martin? It was like a menudo. Yeah. My brother looked like that. Super handsome. I, I hate my brother. No, I'm kidding. I don't hate my brother. I love my brother. But my point is, is that my best friend introduced me, and so I was, I had gotten clean. I was uh, uh, using drugs, and I had started to work because, like, I I exchanged uh, addiction to drugs to addiction to work, right? Because that's the way I like. I have this addictive personality, and so I started to do that, and I, and uh, I was working 16 to 18 hours a day. It was insane. And my friend got to the, uh, where I was napping, and he woke me up. And I was like, no, nah, I don't want to wake up. I want to go to sleep. I'm really tired. I had been walk- working like 20 days in a row, and I didn't want anything to do with what he had in mind. Because this is what I knew that you don't know. Whenever my friend hooked me up with a girl, she was always, always hideous. Now, I know that's not right to say, and that's wrong to say that, but I'm trying to tell you that she always had more facial hair than I did. She's always, it was always a bad deal. I knew this about my friend, and I did not want to pursue this next person that he was going to introduced me to so i was like man i don't want to do this man let me go back to sleep and he wouldn't let me go back to sleep and i knew how persistent he was and i knew that he wouldn't let me go back to sleep so i said okay i'm gonna go downstairs and back then i had really really long hair if you can imagine that and so i i started to go downstairs and i put on my jacket he goes hey hey aren't you gonna comb your hair and i said i'm not gonna comb my hair for this dude and so I started to go down the stairs, and he goes, "Hey, hey, aren't you going to brush your teeth?" I go, "Why? For this guy, I'm just gonna just like you know, I'm gonna do my job as a best friend. I'm going to uh, uh, keep this uh, guy, which I thought was going what she was gonna look like. I was gonna keep him busy, and I went downstairs, and I was gonna do my duty. I was gonna fall on the grenade. That was my job, and I knew to do it. Okay, so I went down, and I opened the door." And then I saw my wife. And I was, my first thought was, man, I wish I brushed my teeth. <laughs> that was my first thought. It's like, she was so pretty. You know, what was interesting is that what I knew about my wife, because of my experiences in the past, dictated, or what I knew about the girl that I was going to meet that was supposed to, was going to be my wife, what I knew about her, because of my experiences in the past, it dictated how I prepared and how I behaved before I met her. So no combing the hair, no brushing the teeth, no getting ready. There was none of that. And the reason was, it's because I already knew what she was like. And because I knew what she was like, that dictated how I was going to behave towards her. But and then I got to know her and was, that I promise you, the next time we met, I was wearing my very best See, this is not only true in the first time that I met my wife. This is true in our relationship with God. You see, some of us think we know who God is. We think we know how God acts. We think because we have these past experiences, these things that we've experienced in the past, and then we come to God and we're like, oh, wish I would have brushed my teeth. Wish I would have combed my hair. Wish God is so different than what we grew up with, so different than what we thought, so different as to say we don't know God at all. In the text that we're going to look at, and by the way, for this season, we're in the Advent season, the season where it's the Christmas season. Everybody's kind of excited about it, and it's really good. We're going to look at who God is. And we're going to look it through the lens of a lot of texts that you've heard of before and that we've read and that you've known a thousand times. But I want you to pursue them and open your mind to the possibility of looking at these texts with a new and fresh vision. Today, we're going to look at Mary's song, the Magnificat, the, this song that she sings after she's told that God has pursued her. And her song has something to say about who God is and our response to God. So if you would stand with me as we read God's word, we're going to find out who God is. Now, let me just tell you up front. My hope is that as you find who God is, it changes how you interact with him. Just like as soon as I found out who my wife was, it changed the way I dressed. It changed the way I talked. It changed my interaction with her. And the reason that it did, because once I found out how beautiful she was, I wanted to pursue her. That's my hope today with you. That you would find out how beautiful God is, that you would recognize that you've been pursuing the wrong things all your life, that your exposure to what you think God is has been wrong and that the beauty of God would so affect you that it would change Everything about you. Now, I want that to change everything about those of you who have known Jesus all your life and you grew up in a church and you know, you've been with Christ for like 50 years. And I also want that to change for those of you who are like not really down with Jesus and who cares about God and you know, whatever, just get, get the sermon over so we can move on with the rest of our day. My hope is that you would be introduced to Jesus in a spectacular way that would change you so deeply that you'll wish you had brushed your teeth. So let's look at this text. We're looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 45. Would you read it with me in a nice, full voice? One, two, three. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. but has lifted the the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And this ends the reading of God's word. Please have a seat. Glory be to God. So, what we're going to... So, Mary, as you know, was confronted with a reality that was impossible to believe. Mary was told by an angel, wow, that's pretty breathtaking, that God was going to do in her and through her impossible things. That the savior of the world would be born through her womb. Only problem was, Mary had never experienced a man. And I don't know if you know this, but that's pretty much the primary way people have been getting pregnant since the dawn of time. And so, Mary is introduced to this incredible and impossible dilemma. And then she receives it, she says, you know what, God, this is impossible, but if you exist at all, I'm going to believe you, and I'm going to follow you. And then Mary says this, she doesn't sing it, it's like a poem, but she doesn't sing it, she says it. She goes, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Pause. Now, whenever you're confronted with the reality of who God is, this is an appropriate response. The response to God is, you consume every part of who I am. My heart is overjoyed in seeing your face. There's no one like you. I've wanted lovers to fulfill me, but they don't fulfill me like you do. I've wanted finances to uh, give me security, but they don't give security like you do. I want you, I want other things to be the delight of my life, but they are not as delightful as you. There is no drug, there is no medication, there is no lover, there is no finances. There's no security, there's no hope, there's no dream that is greater than God. And so she responds appropriately and says, my soul glorifies the Lord. Now, if in this Christmas season, that's not your position, it's perhaps because you have a idea of who God is that's not connected to the reality of who God is. You see, it's possible to think that Christmas is like the season where there's goodwill towards men, where it's an opportunity to give gifts and share in family events. And those things are beautiful and true, but those things are the outflows. They are the byproducts of the Christmas story. The the reality of the Christmas story is that God has come himself that God has come in a body and that he has made himself known, that he would take on the identity of a servant so that we could take on the identity of sons and daughters. It's the great exchange. It's absolutely incredible. We were far from God. Imagine, 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 Imagine that the richest man on earth, that you had upset him. You didn't know you upset him. You had no idea it was him. You had no clue that you were. Uh, this is this happens in like a show like The Undercover Boss. Has this, have you ever seen The Undercover Boss? It's a fascinating show. So generally speaking, the person who owns the uh, business, you know, gets on prosthetics and they come into the uh, environment, the work environment, wherever it is, if it's a restaurant, if it's a clothing outlet, whatever it is. And so they, they, they put on this stuff and then they get hired and then they get followed around by the cameras. And what happens is you get to see people who responded well to this undercover boss But what's worse is that you get to see the reactions of the people who did not respond well. Have you ever seen that? Right. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I wish I would have treated you better. I wish I would have been more respectful. I wish I would have interacted with you in a more loving and kind way. Say, for instance, you were that person, but you did it to the most wealthy person in the world. And then in turn, he had his eyes on you to go, oh, you think that's bad, and now he has it in for you. Whatever job you're gonna get, oh no, that's been upset because he's upset with you. Whatever situation you're gonna be in, you think it's gonna be favorable? No, it's not. This guy has his eyes against you. You've messed up bad. You've insulted the richest man in the world. But what if, what if one day you became friends with his child and that child so loved you and so looked out for you that when he introduced you to him, that you were like, he was like, this is my best friend. I love her. I love him. And then everything in this guy's heart changed. Now he has affection towards you. Now he's so far from uh, looking to uh, make sure you don't get the job. Now he's making sure that you do get the job. Now he's making sure that you are taken care of. He has his eyes with affection set on you. You see, that's what has happened in Christmas. That the king of the universe the one that we insulted the one that we went against the one that we had no time for he has sent his son and his son has done everything so that we might have relationship with him and so Mary's response is obvious You are awesome. You are amazing. Everything in me wants to praise your name because you're worthy of that praise. You demand and deserve that worship. And so you ask the question, what is it about God that makes Mary's soul sing or Mary's heart become elated with who God is. And it's found, we're just going to look at two verses. That's where our focus is going to be. But I encourage you to find more as you go home and study the text. So we see here God's nature. And here's three things I want you to see. God is, firstly, in verse 49 we see, That God is the mighty one. He's the mighty one. By the way, in your bulletins, you'll have what we call a sermon map. It's easy to follow along uh, with the scripture and to take notes. And so if you want to write it, it's going to be up on the screen. And so God is the mighty one. Would you write that down in that blank space? Mighty. He's the mighty one. Do you see that in verse 49? For the mighty one has done great things for me. God is all powerful. He's the one who has the authority and the power throughout the universe. Now, if you're like me, you get scared of stuff like that because quite frankly, you haven't lived a life like me. You haven't lived a life that gets excited about God being all powerful. In fact, you think That it's like, oh man, if God is all powerful, I'm in for it because I haven't done anything to deserve favor from the power that he has. God is all powerful. That's good news. The reason that that's good news is because he can do. He can do something for you. You see... Mary recognized that God was going to use all, if you had all the power in the world, if you had all the authority in the world, what would you use your power for? What would you use your authority for? Probably for selfish gain. In other words, when you uh, think about winning the lottery, your third or fourth thought is, oh, then I would be generous with this, and then I would be generous with that. But your first thought is like, holy cow, I'm going to buy me this, I'm going to buy me that. Like, that's generally the way we think. And so God goes, no, 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 I have all the authority, all the power, all in the world, and I'm going to use that for your benefit. I can do anything, and I choose to do something good for you. He sends His Son, Jesus, who is also God. So God the Father, sending by God the Spirit, God the Son. We see the triune God at work and at play right here, right now. God can, and he does the impossible. God is the mighty one. Not only is God the mighty one, God is also the Holy One. Same verse, look at the second part of it. For Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. God is the Holy One. God is the Holy One. So not only is God all-powerful, but God is also holy. Now that's a problem for us again. Because if God is holy... Being holy, he can't countenance sin. Does that make sense? God is holy, perfect, and pure. So God cannot be around uh, imperfection and sinfulness, the stuff that you and I run so easily to. God is holy, perfect, and pure. So how could God be in relationship with us? My goodness, if God is holy, we're in for it. Because the last thing I am, forget you talking about me. If God is holy, perfect, and pure, I'm in for it. Because there's nothing holy, perfect, and pure about me. I've, whenever I've been given choices and been pushed up, offend, uh, up against the wall, I've always chosen me over God. I've always chosen my way over God's way. I've always done what would satisfy me rather than submitting, surrendering, pursuing God. It's been the habit of my life. And that being true, when I hear about God's holiness, it doesn't make me want to, with Mary, go, my soul delights in you. It, It makes me say, my soul is terrified. It's terrified. Because holiness has to do with exposure. Showing you are under the lights. And so that's the last thing I want to do. That's the last thing I want to have happen to me. God is holy. God is holy, and so I I want to stay away from him. I want to stay away because I don't want my shame exposed. But God comes and he sees your shame. And with all of his power, remember, he's the mighty one. He takes his holiness, not to bludgeon you with his holiness, but to bestow his holiness upon you. That he takes his holiness and gives it to us. And takes our unholiness upon himself. This is a radical, radical shift. That the God who is all powerful and all holy takes his power and his holiness for your benefit, for your goodness. You go, but I've always been this way. I've always gone this route. I've always, and he goes, I am inviting you into a beautiful relationship where I use all of my power and all of my holiness to take all of your stain and all of your guilt upon myself and give all of my holiness upon you. It's a beautiful exchange. He, but because he's holy, he has to punish sin. You get how that works, right? Like, Okay, think of it this way. A judge. Can you get a picture of a judge in your mind? Now, imagine that there's someone that you loved. Think of the person that you love, like more than anyone else in the world. Maybe they, um, they used to be alive and they're not alive anymore, but just imagine that they're alive and imagine that they're with you. They're the person you love most in the world. Could be your kid, could be your parent, could be your friend, Could be an aunt or a cousin or someone who's inspired you. Who's the person that you love the most in the world? Can you think of that person? Okay, so like, as they're they're in your mind, now, don't think of them this graphically, but just imagine this. Imagine if someone found them walking down the street, it was in a dark night, and they raped and murdered them. Imagine that. Someone that you loved so much. Then imagine that person, imagine that person going before the judge and they got it on camera, They've, uh, they have witnesses that looked outside the window and saw this. There's all sorts of proof. And the judge goes, the judge goes, uh, do you have anything to say for yourself? And that guy says, you know, I feel terrible about this. I'm, I'm sorry that I did this. I, I feel bad. I, I, I just caused this person so much harm. I, I mean, in fact, I killed them, and the, the harm that I caused their loved ones is, is immense. I feel terrible about this. And then the judge says this. You feel terrible? Oh. I tell you what. All is forgiven. You feel terrible enough. I'm not going to... I'm not going to sentence you to. The, the jury found you guilty. I'm not sentencing, sentencing you to, to any time. You feel terrible. Do you see why God's holiness is a problem? Because if God is really holy, then he can't be merciful. And if God is really merciful, he can't be holy. Because if he's holy, he has to punish sin. Make sense? Just like the, the judge has to punish uh, lawbreakers. Does this make sense so far? Are you following Are You tracking with me? And then if he's, and by the way, uh, let's speak about the next thing. He's also the merciful one, right? So God is not only the holy one, he's the merciful one. So if God is holy, he has to punish sin. But if he's merciful, how does he deal with sin? The solution is Christmas. You see, in Christmas, God's holiness meets His mercy. What happens is is that the judge doesn't say, uh, "You're off, you're acquitted." no worries, they found you guilty, don't worry, I find No, 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 the judge says, you are guilty as sin. What you've done is unpardonable. In fact, you deserve the death penalty. And then the judge takes off his robe and walks towards the gallows to take the death penalty that you deserve. Do you see the difference? See, God is both, this is why Mary can sing. Mary can sing because she recognizes how sinful she is and how, How holy God is. And then she sees in the act of the birth. Now she hasn't seen, at this song, she hasn't seen the cross that's coming next. She hasn't seen the mercy that will be doled out towards her. She hasn't seen the extent that God will go to have her forgiven. But she recognizes that here, here at Christmas, that there's something Powerful happening. And it makes her soul sing out, cry out, call out to God, You are glorious. You are wonderful because you are all power and you use your power for my good. You're holy, but you don't allow that holiness to keep distance from us. But you use that holiness to, con- to convict us of our sin and you're merciful. You take all that power and all that holiness to then bestow mercy on top of mercy, on top of mercy upon us. See, that's what we learn about God in Christmas. That he's all powerful and he uses his power for your good. That he's all holy and he uses his holiness for your good. And that he's all merciful and he uses his mercy for your good. You don't deserve the forgiveness that God gives. He gives the gift of mercy and forgiveness. You don't deserve him using his power for your favor, but he uses his power for your favor. You don't deserve the relationship that he's offering to you, but he uses his mercy, his authority, his position to create that relationship. Now, if you turn over your a uh, sermon map, this produces two things in Mary's soul and hopefully in ours as well. Knowing this about God, that he's mighty one, so he can do. And by the way, let me just, let me just uh, stick with this for a second. God, he's mighty, so he can do it. He's holy, so he must do it. And he's merciful. And he wants to do. Watch this. If God was any two of these we would be in great despair. If God wanted to forgive sin, he wanted to, he was merciful, and he was holy, he had to punish sin, but he did not have the power, he wasn't almighty, then you and I would be in despair. If God was all-powerful, and all holy but was not merciful, you and I would be in despair. In Christmas, you can't pick one. You got to know God as all three, all powerful, all holy, all merciful. And he extends all of that towards you. Knowing this about God leads us to be filled. To be filled. Do you see that here? He has filled, look at verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has filled us. What is being filled with God? Here's, here's the thing, write this down. Rely on God for all that you need. Would you just start relying on God for all that you need? Maybe you're sick and you need the grace of God to give you suffering grace. I know that all we think about when we're sick is that God is a healer and that's all that he can do. That's the compartment that we have. And he's all, didn't you say he's all powerful? Yes, but he's going to do good things in your life. And sometimes the good things that he does in your life, sometimes they entail some painful experiences. And so we can rely on God to carry us through during times of suffering and difficulty and woe. We can rely on God to be with us. Knowing this about God, we can rely on God to care for us. Secondly, not only can we be filled by relying on God for everything, but also we can remember. Let's rehearse God's work. I love what Mary does here. Do you see what she says Uh, In verse 54 and 55, she says, he, that is God, has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised his ancestors. What Mary is doing is, in this moment, I'm going to borrow from the past. In this moment, I'm going to borrow from what God has done. I'm going to remind myself of what God has done in the past to help me to remember that God is with me in the present. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're going through. Perhaps it's cancer. I want you to be filled by relying on God to take you through this moments of fear. Maybe maybe it's your finances are just upside down. I want you to rely on God, going God. Listen, I you know in some cases I put myself in this hole. God, would you help me? uh, Give me wisdom. Help me to ask wise people about how to handle my finances, and give me grace to endure the debt that I'm presently in. But you can rely on Him is the point. But also, I want you to remember. Listen, for some of you, listen. I don't know where you came from, but listen if. God cared for you, then he'll care for you now. If God was merciful, then he's merciful now. Some of us, were so twisted and we're so caught up in our head, we can't even see God's mercy. You can't see that the very breath that you breathe is, a, is an aspect of God's mercy. Listen to me. God is merciful and if you can't see it in yourself then I want to encourage you to get around other brothers and sisters, the people who are sitting around you right now. And I want you to talk with them and be reminded sometimes we need to just borrow encouragement from others. And sometimes the encouragement is, oh my gosh uh, I had cancer too and God uh, put it in remission and I'm so grateful. But more times than not, it's I had cancer too. It's a struggle. We're at stage four now. And God is with me every moment of the day. And that's a beautiful gift. Reminding ourselves of what God, we rely on and remember. That's what Christmas reminds us about God. That he's the mighty one. He can do it. He can save us from our sin. He's the holy one. He must do it. He must save us from our sin. He's the merciful one. He wants to do it. He wants to save us from our sin. And knowing this about God helps us to be filled and remember, rely on and rehearse God's work in our lives, rehearsing his good will. Now, part of rehearsing is coming on these Sundays. We come these Sundays because we're reminded that God is doing a work in our lives and we're reminded in the, other, in the lives of other people. And so when we come together, it's so important. Listen, on the Sunday in, Sunday out, I want to encourage you to keep coming back. Why? Because here together in the slow, very unsexy way, God reminds us every day. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm with you and I'm for you. See, our service is a microcosm of the Christian life. If you come for an entire month, we're going to have aspects of our Christian life. They're going to be aspects of confession because that's part of the Christian life and testimony because that's part of the Christian life. And and listen to me. It's going to be, there's going to be aspects of our life of singing because that's part of the Christian life where we sing, we're so happy, we're rejoicing. And then there's going to be times of silence. There's going to be times of uh, studying God's word. And then there's going to be times of fellowshipping with each other and practicing the word of God that we just learned. Do you see? So we come here Sunday in, Sunday out, so that we are reminded of the work that God is doing as he digs it in every week. I encourage you.